This is Steve Robbins, host of the Get It Done Guy podcast at getitdone.quickanddirtytips.com. I'm here today with Ryan Alice, 23-year-old CEO of the hugely successful iContact.com and author of the entrepreneurial how-to book, Zero to One Million. We're talking about the role of passion in business. Welcome, Ryan. I was taking a look at iContact.com, and for goodness sake, it's a real company. You seem awfully young to be a CEO. Um, what's that all about? How did that happen? I got started in business at the age of 11, growing up on the west coast of Florida, giving computer help for senior citizens for $5 an hour. Got into website design at age 14 and website marketing around age 16. And when I came up to go to college at UNC in 2002, I was inspired by entrepreneurship and really wanted to start my own company. So I partnered uh, with my partner, Aaron Houghton, and he and I started iContact in the summer of 2003 when I was 18 and he was 22. And uh, today we're the second largest email marketing company in the world in terms of number of customers with about 90 employees and about $15 million in annual sales. Wow. Okay. I am wicked impressed. How? Ha- what has it been like in terms of being so young? And my guess would be that a lot of the people who work for you are older than you. How do you get the gumption to stand up as a 18-year-old or a 21-year-old and say, hey, I'm going to start a company and they're going to be smarter, more experienced, or at least older people working for me. Tell me, how did you get that mindset? What was that like? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've always been someone that likes to set big goals and uh, then go after them and achieve and, and focus my energies to bring the resources needed to make it happen. When I was 16, I set a goal to build a company to a million dollars in sales by age 21. And I missed the goal by 18 days. We reached our first million dollars in sales on September 1st, 2005. But had I not set that goal, we wouldn't have even come close. So when we started in 2003, we bootstrapped, lived in the office, slept on futons, cooked on a George Foreman grill. Finally, by the end of the summer, we were able to hire our first employee in September 2003. And you're right, it was difficult. It was a challenge to have someone older than you working for you. Our first employee was 24. Our second employee was 57. So you can imagine in the office with an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old, a 24-year-old, and a 57-year-old what that environment was like. Over time, I learned through trial and error uh, skills of a manager. I was a fairly poor manager initially, but I I learned not to micromanage. I learned to give people clear direction uh, in the beginning rather than uh, throughout the process. Um, I learned to commend more than I criticize, to reward with praise as well as salary, to do an outstanding performance award, to show respect and keep your door open and clearly communicate your vision. Um, So I learned to be a manager, and, you know, to some extent, every adult was at one point a child, and every adult was at one point my age. So I I was able to relate to people, and as long as you have the vocabulary, you know what you're talking about, you know what you're doing, and you sign their paycheck every two weeks, uh, and, and you are a respectful, driven person, people will follow you. And uh, so I, I didn't find it to be a bit, too much of a challenge to work with people that were much older than I, especially when you're on the web in terms of the customers. People don't know how old you are. So that was something that helped as well. Now, everything you just mentioned about interacting with people really had to do with your people skills and your ability to set expectations and communicate goals clearly. Did you have any issues with content expertise or expertise setting up systems, which is kind of the other half of the equation? Half is the people stuff, and then half is the systems and the business stuff. It is absolutely critical, as you said, to set up those processes, those procedures, those policies and systems in order to take the company from a one-person company to a 50- or 100-person company. 
really the question one has to ask themselves as an early-stage entrepreneur is, have you created a job for yourself, or have you truly created a business in which you can make money while you sleep, in which you can take a few weeks off and the business will still grow without you having to be there managing the day-to-day operations? That might not be possible in the first year, but after that, certainly you want to make sure the company is making money while you sleep and that you put in place the right systems. And all systems are are trained policies, trained processes that individuals can repeat over and over again toward a defined outcome without you necessarily having to be there. So just like a human body that is healthy is made of systems, a healthy business is made up of good systems, and investors require you to have human resources systems, product development systems, accounting systems, in order for the company to be able to scale and grow without you necessarily having to manage every single aspect of the company directly. So you've got investors, and was that something you started with, or did you have to build the business to a certain point and then bring them in? The latter. We bootstrapped for three years. We were young, inexperienced. We couldn't really raise capital after the dot-com crash. It was 2002. The economy wasn't doing so great, so we had to start out with our with our own efforts and our own time and our own energies. After three years, we raised $500,000 of uh, venture capital from a local fund here in Durham, North Carolina called NCIDEA. And then last year in June of 2007, we raised $5.3 million from Updata Partners in Reston, Virginia. And we've used that capital to grow our customer acquisition and invest in building our product from a fairly mediocre product at the beginning into a world-class email marketing platform today. This interview is going to be accompanying a podcast that's about passion. Tell me, what part did passion play in getting where you are? Does it play? Will it play? I feel that passion uh, is critical within anyone's life if they are going to be happy and truly reach their dreams. The most important thing I encourage young people to do is, number one, to take action today, and number one, number two, to align what they love with what they do. And if one can wake up every single day and go do something that they enjoy and go be around people that they enjoy being around that are positive, that are supportive, it's so much easier to succeed and reach your goals, whatever your goals may be. So my passion, you know, is something that has evolved over the years. I have a passion for creating great products that people that help people. Today we have an email marketing tool that helps companies do their do their marketing more efficiently. We've created over 90 jobs. We indirectly support about 70 children from those employees. We've been able to. Uh, give back to our community and contribute a percentage of our payroll back to the 15 community organizations here in North Carolina and across the globe. And finally, I have a passion for changing the world. I have a passion for reducing poverty and hunger in developing nations. And when I was in a uh, in high school at 17, back in 2001, I had an inspiring uh, teacher by the name of Robert Fletcher, and he taught me two facts that really changed my view about the world. Number one, that 49,000 people die every day from preventable diseases and starvation. And number two, that 42% of the world lives on under $2 a day. And those are people just like you and I, and and that $2 a day is half a latte at Starbucks that we might spend without thinking about it. And when I realized that, it gave me a sort of a higher purpose for wanting to build a company, gain the leadership skills, gain the influence, connections, and wealth, so that later in life I can be part of a generation, be a leader of a generation that works to change the world to increase access to education, healthcare, technology, and entrepreneurial opportunity with hopefully the effects of reducing genocide, reducing poverty, reducing hunger here in the United States as well as in developing countries. So that is what my passion has been. It's a passion for entrepreneurship, and it's a passion for social entrepreneurship, 
and it's a passion for making a difference in individual lives to the best of my ability. So those are some of the things that I love doing. I also have a passion for helping other early-stage entrepreneurs of any age build companies, and that's one of the reasons I wrote Zero to One Million, to share that story of how to build a company and the 10-step process behind how anyone can build a company in a million dollars in sales and beyond. The passion that you just communicated is really a global passion, it sounds like. I mean, you talk about other countries, you talk about reducing poverty in the world. Do you keep that in mind when you walk into work every day? I mean, what happens when you, you, know, you walk in and what has to be done today is you have to sign a bunch of paychecks and return five phone calls and go through your email and your outlook. In those moments, how does that relate to your passion? One has to start with the end in mind and take a 50-, 60-year viewpoint and then work backwards such that you know what your one-year, three-year, 10-year, 20-year, and lifetime goals are. I have my goals written down, printed out, and framed in my closet every morning when I put on my clothes. I see it, and it reminds me why I'm doing what I'm doing that day. And we all have this running commentary inside our heads of, What's the day-to-day? What's, what's the issue of the moment? But being able to see that big perspective focuses me, and it focuses my energy on what's important and what's going to actually bring into reality the uh, changes that I hope to make and, and the impact that I want to create. So being able to get that big perspective does help me when I go in and start you know, going into these meetings and start answering emails and going through the day-to-day. It always is within a holistic plan of what I want to achieve this year and what do I want to achieve in the next five and ten years. So you're reviewing this on a daily basis? That's right. Wow. It sounds like daily is the way to go. And I don't necessarily review them. I simply see them. And I might not read them all, but just having them there and having them visible is something that focuses my energies on what I need to accomplish. Sure. And that way, it also gives you a reminder to begin to link all of the mundane day-to-day details with the bigger picture and the bigger picture, it sounds like, is where a lot of your passion is, and it's what keeps you going forward and motivated and driven. That's absolutely correct. Humans tend to overestimate by far the amount they can accomplish in one year, but greatly underestimate the amount they can accomplish in 10 years. So if one can focus every day on what they need to do to reach their 10-year goals, that those goals will be able to be huge and, and yet still achievable. So let's move on to hiring and firing people. You've talked about the importance of passion. Do you look for that in employees, or is that just something for you and for the other people at the top of companies? I think passion at every level is critical. Um, You don't just want someone's body or just someone's uh, skills. You want uh, their heart, and you want their passion, and you want their dedication, um, as well as their initiative and their communications ability. But they have to be in it with their heart and their passion. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that every single individual is going to love what they do every day, but what they want, what we want them to encourage them to do is to love the, love the mission that we have, to love the family that we're building, and to love contributing to the higher mission that we have here at Eye Contact, which is to create great products, to create great jobs, to give back to the community. And if we do those things well enough, the revenue, the profits, and the success will come in turn. Do you hire people for their skill set? and then introduce them to your mission and say, here's what we do, we hope that you buy into this? Or do you hire people who already show those values and buy into it and then hope that they have the skills, or how do you balance that? It's a little bit of both. When we're hiring candidates, we look for experience in the related area. We look for the communication skills, the ability to clearly articulate uh, with many different uh, diverse stakeholders. And finally, we look for someone that can take initiative and get things done and not let balls drop. 
So those are the few things that we look for that we feel are critical. Um, and we do look for people that are passionate, that are driven, that are dedicated. And then once we bring them on board, uh, within the first month, we have a corporate overview session in which we share our manifesto, in which we share our value statement, in which we share the why eye contact exists statement. And that's certainly posted throughout the office, but we make sure we sort of provide that training as well. Interesting. When I worked for Intuit, the people who make Quicken, I was with Intuit when there were about 100 people there. And on my first day of the job, Scott Cook sat down and had exactly that kind of discussion with me about here's where we're going, here's what we want to do. And at the time, I thought he was insane because Intuit was a teeny tiny little company that had one product, Quicken for DOS, was working on a second one. And the idea that they wanted to be a multi-billion dollar company that sat at the center of people's finances seemed just ridiculous. Well, guess what? He kept his eye on the ball. Every employee in the company kept their eye on the ball. Fifteen years later, who knew? They are now a multi-billion dollar company that sit at the center of many people's finances. So for what it's worth, you're, you're doing what Scott Cook did, and I hope you certainly end up there as well. I certainly appreciate that. So I come work for you, and I have valuable skills, and my heart just really isn't in it. You know, I'm just, I'm clocking my time. What are you going to do about me? If people feel that they're here just for the job, we, we, can, we talk, as long as they're performing, uh, performing well, we might not necessarily notice that there's an issue. But if the performance isn't there and the heart isn't there, then we have a discussion with them. You know, you put it in writing, you, uh, and then finally, if it, if it doesn't change around, I'll, they'll come talk to me, and I'll try and share again sort of the mission, the purpose, the upside for them personally of working with our company for five or ten years and what it could mean to the rest of their lives and careers, and, um, and then what we expect and what we hope and what we require. And if that doesn't turn around, um, then we unfortunately have to let that person go. You have to have someone's, uh, their heart as well as their mind as well as their body if, if you're going to build a company that's very high growth um, in, uh, in, in this environment. And we believe in a balanced work environment. We're, we don't ask people to work more than 45, 50 hours a week um, at, at the staff level, and certainly even at the managerial level, it's rare that someone will work more than 65 hours a week. Um, but we do encourage people to be dedicated, and when they are here, to be very, to fully be fully focused and uh, be sort of engaged with performing duties and helping our customers. Now, you may have just answered the question, but I've worked in a great many startups, and one of the things that characterizes early stage startups is this fondness for 100-hour weeks. And that can often produce burnout, even in people who are really committed to the company and committed to the mission. Is, do you have a problem with that at all, or are you past the point where you need to ask for that kind of effort from people? I think it's, one is never past the point where you need to ask for full effort, but we do believe that the best effort, the best value that we can get is, is not in hours 70 through 100, but rather is in the first 60 or 70 hours that someone could work. And at the end of the day, if someone's working 12 hours a day, six days a week for you, you know, that's 80 hours. Can you really ask for anything more? Uh, probably not. Um, so we, we believe in certainly a balance in, in life, and uh, we think that creates the highest productivity overall. Personally, I, I tend to work about 80 to 90-hour weeks. I used to work 100 to 110-hour weeks um, when, back when we lived in the office and slept in the office, and it was easy. We just rolled out of bed at about 3 p.m., got on our laptop, and worked till 9 a.m., and did the same thing every day of the week. And, um, but now we certainly believe in having balance, and there's certainly more to life than, than business and building a company, but we do believe that for us it's a critical part of, of our success and what we enjoy doing. 
Now, speaking of, of there being more to life than building a company, when you, you talked earlier, you said that one of the goals you set at the age of 16 was the goal to grow your company to a million dollars in sales. And then when you talked about the rest of the business, you talked about your passion for making a difference in the world, for improving the world long term, for producing great products. Can you talk to me a little bit about passion that's driven by a desire to make money versus passion for a particular product or service or world change? Is there any difference? Does it matter? I think there is. I mean, I think there are many things that motivate. There's a desire for respect, a desire for recognition, a desire to change the world, a desire to make an impact, a desire to to make money. And money can motivate. And some of the speaking tours I do across college campuses, we'll do an exercise where we'll take a $20 bill and we'll make someone jump and then we'll put the $20 bill three inches above the highest they could possibly jump. And somehow they always figure out a way to jump that three inches higher to get the $20. So money can motivate. But I think at the end of the day, Money is not the purpose of life. Relationships, uh, family, friends, memories, uh, those are really what the purpose of life is all about. And to some extent, people, especially you know, in an organization like this, will be more encouraged and motivated by a uh, public praise, by a outstanding performance plaque for $49 than they would by a $2,000 or $3,000 bonus. So especially for an early-stage entrepreneur, that doesn't have a lot of money, that desire to make money can be a big motivator. But often once the money is made or the initial money is made, the goal shifts uh, rather to creating something great, to being recognized, to changing the world and making an impact. And it's that motivation, that core motivation that will take someone from being a million-dollar entrepreneur to a billion-dollar entrepreneur um, to get to that level. It really takes something more than just a hunger for, for just the monetary aspect. A lot of people don't realize that Bill Gates did not have the ambition to be the richest man in the world. He was big into software and wanted to see his software on everyone's desk. And an interesting byproduct of that is that he's become the richest man in the world or one of them. But I I think you're right. Most of the people I know who are primarily motivated by money, at some point they top out because they don't have the pieces of the puzzle that it takes to have the relationships and to really be attractive to the level of opportunity that they need to get that next step up. So what are your current passions? My current passion is building eye contact into a public company over the next two years. Um, it, it is social entrepreneurship. I will say the entrepreneur and social entrepreneur meet up at my house every month. My uh, Working on my nonprofit organization, the Humanity Campaign, which works to reduce poverty and hunger in North Carolina and developing countries by increasing access to education, health care, and technology. Um, so those are the things that I'm really passionate about. And, and that's overall, I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs reach their dreams and achieve their goals, as well as making a generational movement toward uh, changing, the, addressing the major global challenges that we have today. Does this mean that once I contact as a public company and you're ready to move on, we should be looking for you in the global philanthropy or the NGO world? Or You know, I, I'm a young person. I'm 23, so hopefully... Uh, Fingers crossed I'll be around for a few more decades, and I'd really like to uh, finish up my school at UNC. I have another year there. I'm town leave there to build the company, and I'd like to go up to Harvard and go to their business school as well as do a master's in public policy at the Kennedy School of Government, and then come back uh, and start more companies and build a billion-dollar company in my 30s, maybe an alternative energy, and uh, and then maybe get into public service and investing and, uh, and uh, other philanthropic efforts. Cool. So where does your book fit into all this? How did that come about? Why did you write it? What do you, what do you want it to do for the world? 
The original version of the book was self-published in 2003. There was a case study of the company that I worked for in high school that got $2 million in sales in about 12 months in the health industry. I updated the book and published it. The new version on February 5th of this year came out from McGraw-Hill. And instead of being a case study of the company five years ago, it's now fully updated to be about eye contact and the eye contact story, the story that I've come through, as well as a 10-step process that anyone can use to build a company to a million dollars in sales and beyond, for all the way from understanding the system, finding your core motivation, uh, coming up with a business idea, finding partners, finding funding, bootstrapping, uh, actually incorporating the company, developing your product, marketing and selling the product, becoming a manager, hiring employees, building systems, and then finally scaling the operation. So that's really what the book's about. Wow. I, I will recommend it. That sounds awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? I'd uh, like to add that I appreciate everyone listening today and would love to work with each and every one of you to make a positive difference and change the world in the decades to come. And uh, very much uh, hope you'll go out and take a look at Zero to One Million as, uh, as well as Eye Contact. And I've been uh, really glad to be on the show today. Is there any place that people can reach you if they want to get a hold of you? Absolutely. They can uh, reach me on LinkedIn and Facebook as well as email me directly. When my email is ryan at icontact.com and my website and blog is at ryanalice.com. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Steve. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Steve Robbins and Ryan Alice. You can find Ryan at icontact.com and you can find Steve at steverobbins.com and getitdoneguy.com.